Welcome in, everyone, on another episode of the Outside the Lines podcast. I'm your co-host, Mason, joined by none other than new, and you guessed it, super producer is still keeping his title, but he is gone again for uh, today's episode. We'll have him on soon enough. I'm just going to keep saying that until he comes on next. But we got a really fun interview today with Quentin Bundridge, so please stick around for that. Really fun guy, cool personality, and he was just a, a complete stud at Iowa State, so kind of fun to reminisce on his Iowa State career. But of course, this episode is brought to you by BNC Fieldhouse. You guys are probably sick and tired of me saying that it has the best drink deals on Welch Avenue, which it does, and that is the best place to watch a big game, which it is. But I'm going to give you something else here. They are now starting Pride Nights every Thursday night starting this week. So not only will you have a dollar mug, but you also have some entertainment with some drag shows. Really interesting thing they got going on there. So go check it out. On top of that, Sundays, they have mimosas and football starting from 2 to 4 p.m., bottomless mimosas, and, of course, their trusty FAC deal with $5 wraps and $3 adioses. So head on over to BNC. Always have the best drink deals on Welch Avenue and give our boy Ben a shout out. But nonetheless, we'll get started with our Oki State breakdown. And holy shit, that was an awesome game, Newt. Yes, um, <laughs> this is a great game. It was amazing to be back in Ames. Um, as we mentioned, Mason and I were both at this game, which made us a little worried because Iowa State mm-hmm. does not like to play when we go to games. Specifically but, when you go to games. Specifically when I go to games. This is true. But but they showed out. It was it was awesome. Um, you know, Jack Trice is amazing. I, I feel like I say that for every game, but it's true. I, I love the energy. Um, the atmosphere is fantastic. And you know, they showed up, they they grinded out a win. We we knew Oklahoma State was gonna going to come in and, and give them a great test. And, you know, Iowa State was up for it. Uh, Brock Purdy was fantastic. Did, mm-hmm. you know, exactly what needed to be done of him. The defense was great. It was one of those grind out games. And, you know, one that you can really hang your hat on. is just a very impressive win of, of, of showing up and getting a win when you need to. And, hey, back in the Big 12 uh, championship race, and mm-hmm. um, you know, Brocktober is in full effect. We get one last spooky session of Brocktober here this upcoming weekend too that we're excited about. Mm-hmm. But man, um, it, it was fantastic. Got to storm the field. But I'll, I'll let you kind of chime in some thoughts here, Mason. But yeah, no, you you said Jack Trice always feels amazing, and you're right. This one felt a little bit different though. So I. Uh, and part of me is happy I missed this, but more so I'm upset. I was in the bathroom during the Xavier Hutchinson touchdown that got called back. And, and to say that Jack Trice has ever been louder than that, I think would be a lie. I, I, I could not believe it. I was in the bathroom and I was washing my hands and I just heard the entire stadium erupt. The bathroom was like shaking. I, I felt vibrations on the floor. It, it was it was insatiable, unlike any other. So, of course, I'm running out of there with my hands super wet because I don't care to dry my hands. And I am sprinting out to the top deck of, of whatever the stadium is. And I've never heard it louder than that. And I, I think I can confidently say that. I don't know if we have like a like a decibel level calculator in that stadium or what, but it was insane. So, no, that atmosphere in Jack Trice was different. It's always electric, but that was it was just insane. 
So you're right. It was, it was something new and Purdy, my goodness. Did you hear that? Did you hear that quote from Campbell after the game about those quote, not nice things said about Purdy earlier on in the season? That was great. I mean, we'll raise our hand. We were a little critical of him toward the beginning, but 27 for 33, 307 yards, two touchdowns. And I was about to say, was that one that got called back? Did he end up throwing a touchdown pass on, on that drive later on or, or what? That You're putting me on the spot and I could not tell you exactly. Nonetheless, two touchdowns and could have been even three. Don't don't quote me on that. But over 80% completion percentage on 33 attempts is pretty nasty. I mean, he, he killed it. And on the very first, uh, I think the first few drives of the game, we weren't even scoring really our first few drives, but he was still nine for 10. Uh, I think he finished um, 11 for 12 at some point with a touchdown. And the only incompletion he had was one that uh, that should have been caught anyway. So the dude is efficient as hell. He had one of his most, I would just say, efficient games overall. And, and he looked like that veteran QB that, that we were kind of expecting to see at the beginning of the year. He, he's, he's got it back, man. He's got it back. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think we were like – we were probably critical in the, the realm of like we've seen Brock Purdy play better than this and this team in order to like yeah. – reach its expectations and what it wants for its end of the year goals needs that. And I think that was fair criticism. And yeah. I think the team as a whole, I mean, besides the defense, which for the most part has been fantastic this year, John Heacock does a great job with them. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, this team kind of did need a wake up call. We, we saw some, some slower starts and it's, you know, frustrating. It's at this point, so accustomed to it. Um, with with Cambo over the years, but they're hitting their stride and and they show up and they're you know making the Big Twelve title race very interesting. We obviously still have a huge game with Oklahoma left, and um, you know we we knocked down Oklahoma State. We're we're right in it with Baylor, who has a loss, and hopefully they can you know someone else can snag them again. But and they will. You know th- this team's definitely yeah. I mean it, it's hard. It's it's. I'd be really surprised if they're they're able to, you know, close that out with only one loss. But I mean, this this team showed up, and you know, you could say they're hitting their stride. We're you know at the halfway point of the season, and this is kind of where you want your team playing. You want it playing at this level. You want them, you know, this was a great game. Like looking back, like there were no turnovers in this game. No. There was not a ton of like great momentum sort of switching things. Like both teams played like really solid, you know, mistake-free football. And it really yeah. came down to a couple big plays, big stands, and, you know, who was going to basically State put had, together the best drive. They had some amazing plays, too. Like, o- Okie State came to Jack Trice and still played a hell of a game. I mean, yeah. they, they were not an easy out, and they they gave us every single every single down of theirs. Like, they, they were out there to play. I, I think this is a, a – call me – call me stupid for this analysis, but I thought this was where you knew we were in October instead of September. It was third and three with less than a minute left in the half, the first half. Purdy was scrambling. And at first for a second, it looked like he was going to run and try and get the first, but there was two defenders right in front of him. He wasn't going to get it. And September Purdy, maybe freshman Purdy probably would have forced um, a throw there potentially risked an injury 
No, he threw it away. And, and it's hard to throw that ball away and basically admit that you're punting the ball with, you know, 40 some seconds left handing it over to the opponent. But that's all that also instills a lot of trust in, that you have in your defense. He's like, Hey, we're going to take the loss on this drive because I don't want to force something that could be a turnover that could lead them to a field goal. That's just smart playing right there. And it's those small details that Campbell likes to boast about that he deserves to boast about because he's good at that. And that's, it's decision-making like that, that allows you to go 27 for 33 for for 307 yards and two touchdowns. So shout out to Purdy, man. He killed it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, you know, a really great um, all around performance. So, you know, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have a lot to, you know, complain about or, or anything that kind of makes me worrisome. It was Dude, uh, we cured the kryptonite. We cured the kryptonite. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State's always tough out, and um, they're one of the few things that have been able to to clip us in in, in Brocktober. And um, you know, very happy that that Brock was able to you know get back at them and and basically lead Iowa State to a great win. Um, Storming the field mm-hmm. was so much fun. Um, I <laughs> anyone who wants to complain about that on Twitter or whatever. I understand that we were technically favorites. We were, we were obviously uh touchdown favorites. We talked about that and how we thought that was yep. weird and I get it, but like, you know, let kids be kids, let the fans be fans. It's fun. You don't get to do that shit a lot. And no, you, yeah, it's a beauty of sport, man. Like I, that's, that's why people like love sports is because you won't forget that you like storm this field five years from now or whatever. Like, or anytime you ever hear about any other storm field storming, you're like, Oh, like been there, done that. Like pretty cool. So, um, did you see that? I think it was 2007. We had three wins total. We stormed the field on every single win in 2007. That's funny. <laughs> that's funny. I mean, it's like, and, and, it's like what that's like the Kansas method where when they do get their like one win a year, regardless of who it's over, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> field storming is going to happen. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, well, well, it, yeah. Okay. I, I got to admit something here. So when everyone was storming the field, I didn't storm the field and I so badly regret it. Give me shit for See? it. I, I deserve it. But, but here's the thing. So when everyone was doing that, this, this guy standing next to me, he, gosh, he looked familiar. I honestly want to say he was a former Iowa state football player. Um, but he was just saying, he was standing right next to me and said, don't storm the field. We should have won this game. We should have always won this game. And I was sitting there. I was kind of getting hype on my own just with, with that guy. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we should have won this game. Like, you know, we were the favorites going into this. We were ranked higher than them going into the season. They were unranked even. And, and of course, they've, they've shown their stuff, so, and they deserve to be where they were at. But that was kind of, in a way, I was like, should we pro or not protest? I would never protest field storm. But part of me is like, should we be doing this? But it kind of hit me the next day when you storm the field, you're right. That's a memory that you're always going to have. And that's also partly why people love Nation. That's why recruits want to come play here because they know that their fan base is going to be so diehard. Even if we suck, we've proven that. And it's just so fun to be a part of this fan base. And I, I don't want to butcher this stat either, but I saw that we've been storming the field more than most anyone else has since again, 2007. And I'm so okay with that. People are jealous that that's one of those situations where people are like, you guys storm the field too much. Well, you guys don't storm it enough. Maybe you guys don't, some more you guys don't beat games. top 25 teams enough or there you, you go. Know, you don't beat do more top 10 teams. You know, like 
it's like when when we had Marchie on and he said that like you know by far one of his favorite moments as a player was after the TCU win and yeah just like getting to hang out and truly like party with the fans on the field like I'm, I'm sure the players enjoy it obviously as long as like people stay safe and you know there's always people who might like mess around with them or whatever like we condone that, but like for the most part, everyone's super excited. Everyone's so happy about the result and they just want to like celebrate the players, the, the performance, the result. And sure. Like the old man saying we should have won. We should have won. Yeah, we should have won, but we did win and they did accomplish a big win and it was a necessary win. So they have every right to celebrate that. And we as fans yeah. have every right to celebrate and appreciate that they put on a great performance. Like 1000, not, you know, it's, it's it's ticky tacky to be like oh you should only storm the field if you are technically a double digit uh, underdog in Vegas or something like that. It's like, dude, who cares, man? It's college athletics. That's that's why we we play. It's fun and people are passionate and it's a great memory. The players, I'm sure, love it too. Like, it's you know, and what that also goes to show, you know, Vegas cares about one thing, right? Money. And we weren't even ranked and they ranked in the top 10. That just goes to show how much these rankings are just BS at the end of the day. They are because if Vegas knows that at Jack Trice, we're a seven point favorite and we're not even ranked and we're playing a top 10 team. Part of me is just kind of like, you know what we are. We know what we are. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we should have won that game. And I'm glad that we did win that game. It's still a hell of a win. Um, by the way, Quick shout out to Mr. 69 of the game. Do you have any guesses? Mr. 69. I'm going to go. Brees was close, but I don't. I think he was he had, so close. He had 70 rush yards. He had 70. Was it Charlie Kohler? It was Charlie Kohler. Six catches for 69 yards. Hell of a game. Mr. 69, Charlie Kohler. I think this might be his second 69 award of the, of the year. Brees has two. Brees has two. He got him in back-to-back weeks. You know, I, I did just want to touch on, you brought up the Vegas point. I think it's really interesting because I think we as Cyclone fans, like, we're a little bit surprised by the line, but, like, context matters. We've had, you know, we've been one of, we're in, like, all the advanced metrics bullshit that you, I don't know if you see that stuff on Twitter that people put, it's always has Iowa state as like a legitimate, like a top 10 team on like yeah yards allowed yards for play, like all this kind of stuff, expected wins in, in, in certain advanced metrics. And I, that's obviously where Vegas gets a lot of their stuff. And I, and I think, you know, you, you put this in Oklahoma state, it's, it's, Iowa state may even still be slightly favored just because of like how well they do in the advanced metrics and in certain stats like that but it definitely is a lot closer. And I think it's just how we kind of had a, a very slow start and fall from grace. Like we know that this team talent wise was not like outside of the top 25, like what we were turning, how we were performing and, and what was expected. This team's always been a top like 15 sort of expectations and stuff. And I think that still carries and, you know, well, Iowa State didn't cover. They still won. Um, so us saying that we take Oklahoma State plus seven is was you know good on us, and we still we're got smart. the best result from it. We're smart. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're trying to say. Here. But but I don't I don't think it's the weirdest thing ever because you know there are also other factors with Oklahoma State. You know we we mentioned that they played literally four straight ranked opponents before this. They're coming on the road. They're getting a 
a rowdy Jack Trice team that's starting to hit their stride. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the other yeah. thing that Vegas realized is like this team's hitting their stride. They're looking really good, um, performing well. And they're kind of the Iowa State that had that preseason ranking of like seven. And so um, I don't think it's as crazy, but that was just, I kind of wanted to touch on that, but. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, man, what really kicked off the game where Campbell just said, we're winning this, you know, we're, we're playing to win this game was when we were down. Oh, Oh to seven. I think it was in the first quarter, I believe. And they got us on three straight attempts. I think it was, it was like first and three to the goal line. We, we had no more than three yards. It could have been even less, but, uh, we, we just kept getting shut down. Like Purdy got stuffed. Then Brees got stuffed, I think twice. And then Campbell just said, enough is enough. Put it in my hand, put it in the hands of our veteran QB in Brocktober. Let him sling the ball with less than a foot to go to the goal line and make it happen. That is just showing a complete amount of trust that Purdy deserves, especially in the month of October. To, Cause you have also the best running back in the backfield. Most people would say, all right, we, couldn't get it three times here, but we'll get it the fourth. And honestly, that would have been a fine call too. But he's like, no, this is my guy. I'm putting the ball in his hands. He's going to make a play, whether it's going to be throwing the ball or whether it's going to be running it in himself. And I love that because then that tied it up 7-7. Seven, seven. We don't get that right there. I don't know how the rest of the game goes, but that just that started the entire, um, I don't know. I it just, it felt like the game started right there. And it felt like Campbell's like, I'm not here to kick a field goal to go, you know, down for down with these guys. No, I'm here to win this game. And I, and I love, love that play call. When he, when he dropped back to throw it, I got a little nervous if I'm being honest, just because, you know, dumb brain of mine says, Oh, run it in again. One out of four times you'll get it. But no, I love that play call. And it was something there. Um, anything else? Money, the don't make State money. Game? Yeah. Anything well, else? Okay, briefly that, that X on sportsman like conduct. Oh, <laughs> I, that was bad. I'm just, I'm not surprised anymore. That's that's like my statement on it. I'm not surprised. It's terrible. We know it's terrible. It's so dumb. And like, I'm just glad it's not a talking point in like a, a defeat where then that's all we're hung up on and we're yeah. just complaining about this shit. And you know, obviously, you get terrible calls, and this is up there with some of the worst. It's a stupid rule. Technically, the rule was enforced, right? If you want to look at how it's like stated, but it's so damn dumb. Um, Wait, actually, could you explain that? Because I, I haven't looked into the formality of the rules, and I'm sure that maybe it was the right call, but it's we all can agree that is so stupid. But explain it to me, like not that you agree with it, but in the eyes of the ref, explain it to me. So I believe it's if like a player changes like their pace or um taunts in the field of play or or turns around or checks behind and stuff like that like not intention kind of intentionally i guess i i don't know if they thought him looking over his shoulder was like intentional which i think it was literally like he was like i think someone might be close to me and then he was surprised that no one was yeah. close to him um but it's kind of like you know, preventing like high stepping or anything like that, slowing down before the end zone type deal stuff to just, you know, you know essentially celebrating before a touchdown. And so I guess like, you know, I, there's a dumb quote about like his eyes or something. And I think it was most part because like he kind of looked over and I think 
the fact that he was so far away from people might have been what was perceived as like a taunt like but i mean it's it's a very silly rule i, I there's another game either last year or something that got affected by it too and just like what it does is is so dumb i mean like you the fact that you're taking a score off a board for something like that, that is what is no ridiculously sense. stupid. And that that's is, the worst yeah. part about the rule. Oh. Like penalize the person 15 yards after it, make the extra point hard, make, you know, the kickoff a little bit harder or whatever, but really changing like a scoring play to be a non-scoring play potentially is baffling and just mm-hmm. extremely dumb. So that's where it is. I'm, I'm glad it obviously didn't affect the overall outcome yeah. of the game. Um, but it's just, I mean, it's big 12 refs being big 12 refs and it's a stupid rule. It's a stupid rule. That's why I want to, it's so it a stupid rule is technically enacted, right? If you thought that there was some sort of taunting or slowdown by, by X, you know, whatever, I think it was literally like very, it was not to be a taunt and he was not intending for that. Um, no at all um, um i do want to give a quick shout out will mcdonald four tackles two sacks um jay Commel, man he's really showing up too so defense played really well just want to give them a quick shout out but do we want to go to our mountaineer preview no yeah no no it, wait, it looked like you're like gonna the say defense is just yeah always unsung man but we always sing their praise because we're like they keep us in every game no matter what and then it's always like is it it's up to the offense to like capitalize on that and I always feel like we we probably don't talk about the defense as much because we all know that they're amazing. But, yes, I appreciate you giving a defensive shout-out. They're mm-hmm. fantastic. Great job. And, yeah, West Virginia. Okay. So, you know me, Newt. I am the quarterback whisperer. I am always right 100% of the times when it comes to talking quarterbacks. So, are you ready for my – very, very bold take on Jarrett Doge, Dogecoin. Yeah, we got Dogecoin over here. He's a guy. Um, let's he's see. he's a guy. He is a he's quarterback a in college football, and, and he plays that position. He does. And on top of that, he's a guy for the West Virginia Mountaineers. That's him. That's Jarrett Doge. So, um. That is your expert quarterback analysis on the West Virginia quarterback. Nice. I don't know. Seriously, like he is so confusing to me. Whenever you watch him play, his he, he can throw the deep ball decently well. Um, but everything else, he just he just kind of makes the right reads and just throws the ball there. He he's not a guy that will scare me too much, or I don't think you know he can put the the weight of the game on his shoulders and win for them. So it doesn't scare me a ton, but he he can be effective. So We'll see how he goes. But at the end of the day, he's a guy. He's a guy. He is a guy. Um, how are you feeling overall heading into this game? Um, just general thoughts. Do you think that Iowa State might be overlooking it a little bit with Texas coming home next week, coming off kind of a big win at Oklahoma State? Or do you think we're going to be pretty focused? dude i'm overlooking it if i'm being so honest like i'm seeing that this game sneaks in october i'm just saying thanks for coming out west virginia but the reality of the situation is west virginia is nothing to be you know trifled with like they're they're a solid team they are and i don't think they've ever had 
they've lost kind of the explosiveness since Dana Holgerson left. I, I don't know if you can argue that a ton, but they are there. They shouldn't be a team that should be overlooked, but I'll raise my hand and say, I'm not too concerned about them. I know that you're going to, you're going to say the exact opposite. I don't think I'm like terribly concerned about them because I, I do think that they're very much who they are. They are a very middling team. They're not crazy impressive on either end for the most part. Um, but they've they've been competitive in some games, and I I yeah. think that's just obviously the thing that worries me the most. I mean, they they were a you know they almost nabbed Oklahoma and Norman, which Oklahoma just has not looked good this entire year, which is really weird. They're like just like scathing by on their teeth, like. Like for no. every game, Oklahoma. No, oh no, I agree. Oh, I, sorry, uh, that was a bad reaction. Sorry, KU, I was like, wait, what the hell was that? Um, no, yeah, and they're they're playing these games against teams that they should be killing. Uh, okay, KU, of course, they were. What were they down? Seventeen nothing going into I think like seventeen seven or something. Oh my gosh! But uh, so, so anyway, it's kind of back to what. But like West Virginia has these games. Like I mean. They play Texas Tech close. Texas Tech isn't anything too too crazy either. They kind of got weren't too competitive against Baylor, and then they recently beat TCU. Um, Honestly, Texas Tech and West Virginia really remind me of themselves. They, <laughs> they like I don't know, like they're just kind of like teams that you don't want. You can't let them hang around. You, that's like that's how yes, these teams yes. are. Like I, it's at Morgantown say, too, right? What? It's at Morgantown, right? It is at Morgantown, which is and a that's a it's a hard place to play. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think it's always great to get West Virginia later in the year. Um, and this is good. They're a three-win team, so they're not as like hype. Um, I'm not saying they're like fair weather fans, but it's just harder to get more like built up for a ranked opponent to come in later in the year than early in the year when you know everyone still feels like they have their their chance at at whatever. Um but I mean, yeah, it's Morgantown. It's Halloween weekend. Um, mm-hmm. They're going to be drunk. They're going to be loud. And the key here really is, is Iowa State needs to set the tone. They need to come out and they need to look like they're they're ready for a football game. And I think if if they're able to, you know, get Brees going, get get Brock, um, you know, warmed up as well and, and just, you know, really show like, hey, this is a team that just beat the number eight team at home. And yeah. we're here to play some football. They can really neutralize that crowd and and hopefully take over from there, control the pace of the game, and um, hopefully there's not too many headaches. So, do you do yeah. you want to make a score prediction here or anything? Um, I do. Yeah. Oh no, should we play guess the we'll line? Play guess line. Do you want to play guess line? Play I guess know what the line. line is. Oh, okay. Well, I haven't. I was just about to pull it up. Um, Great. We love guess the line. Iowa State's favored. They got to be. Um, I'm just going to say Iowa State minus 4.5. Iowa State minus 7 again. Oh, okay. Well, I, I honestly, that's probably how I was going to predict the game. So I'm probably, that means I'm not betting on it. Um, uh, give me 33 26. That's way too close. I hate that. Oh, yeah, I think it'll be one of those things where like we're comfy. We have a comfy lead the entire time and they threaten us toward the end. Um, I Classic. don't know. I don't know. 
I think, I think just because it's in Morgantown and you would know this better than I do, but I've only heard that that's just an insanely great place to play, uh, or I shouldn't say that hard place to play. Um, and I don't think it'll be a blowout or would love for it to be a blowout, but I don't think it will be just because of that. And, and like we said, you know, West Virginia is a serviceable team. They, they do have the capability of having maybe one or two upsets a year. And I hate to say it, you, you know, you kind of laid out the foundation. Well, we got Texas next week. Are we overlooking this week? We very well could. I am. I am. I'll raise my hand. I'm overlooking this game. Um, so uh, what's your score prediction? You know, I think I think it's going to be like 27-13, I would say. I, I don't hate that. I think it'll it'll be slow and closer at half. It, it might be like a, a 10 to 10 ish type type deal around half. And then um, Iowa State just has a, a really good defensive game plan for the second half and maybe causes a turnover here or two um, that can really kind of give them a game. I, I I hate feeling this confident about this thing, but like I think this team is you know starting to hit its stride, and I'd be really surprised if they threw a blunder. I, I feel like they're kind of past that point. They've they've got their their mojo, their confidence back, and I think I think they're ready to to kind of, you know, do what they did last year where it very well in big 12 conference play. They're, they're very focused week in and week out. And I, th- I think we're going to get that again. I, and I, um, you know, I hope I'm right. Um, and I've been saying, I hope I'm wrong for the last two weeks and I now hope I'm right. Um, mm-hmm. but good for yeah, you. I, <laughs> you're growing. <laughs> Look new. at me. You're growing Feeling confident in myself. Um, and I would say football, mm-hmm. which is always dangerous. So take that with a grain of salt but that's that's where i'm at i got one more thing before we uh wrap up and go to quentin but credit to us two episodes ago i was talking about how much rent iowa owns in my head turns out that they don't own the majority of rent in my head they own probably 49 percent. so they lost to an unranked purdue team and we didn't even talk about it and we don't have to talk about it but i just i want to just bring it up so we can give ourselves some credit. We didn't talk about it. We didn't talk about it. Did we really not talk about it in the last episode? <sighs> Damn it. Now you got me. Damn it, dude. Dude, we didn't. We didn't. I wouldn't be saying this if we did. Hmm. We didn't. Okay. Someone go back and check this. And in assuming I'm right, I just want this. Brag I edited and listened to the last episode. And I don't think I remember. I don't think we did. Hearing I don't it. think we did. But I, that's just something that I don't think we would miss talking. About. No, I know that was that was why I want to bring it up right now. Hmm. I mean, good for okay. us. Cool. We're, we're being the bigger fan base. We normally are. But if you try and walk bias. through Maybe our, if bias. you try and walk through our fans, if you have the band walk through our fans, then we'll, we'll. Yeah, I'm not going to bring that up again. Never we mind. don't. Why messy yeah. Cyhawk stuff? We 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 really don't need to dive back into Cyhawk until basketball's back again when it gets gross again for a week. And Adam Holaska, you know what's going to be the great gross debate that <laughs> I'm looking forward to again is going to be like the if Iowa State still keeps playing well and you know everything like that towards the end of the year, like the 
we're the better team now or like that debate, but they were like, we beat you on the field in the second game of the year. Like th- that debate's going to be just fantastic because I people love to pull that one. And like, <laughs> yeah. You don't really have a trump card on it because it's like, yeah, they technically beat us head to head this season. So you can literally brag about that until we play again on the football field next year. Um, mm-hmm. But then it's also like, we might be looking better at some point potentially, but whatever. I love staying out of Cyhawk Twitter for the most part because it's gross. And, it is. Um, but well, yes, props to us for, you know, not mentioning the fact that they kind of got smoked at home to a yeah very they, they heard of enough the pack of Purdue team. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. um, I think we kind of screwed up the structure of this episode. So we did an <laughs> Okie State preview or an Okie State breakdown and then a West Virginia preview, not an interview in between. But assuming that you have gotten this far, we have Quentin Bundridge coming up next. Uh, Really excited for you guys to listen to this interview. Like, I I don't know if I have to give much of an introduction, but all Big 12 honors with Quentin. Hell of a dude. Um, Played in the NFL with the Texans for a while. Please give it a listen. It's a really good one. Uh, And as always, roll clones. All right. Today we welcome in a very special guest, all Big 12 honors, Ray Scott Award winner, Dury Moss Award winner, and of course, just an overall Iowa State legend, Quentin Bundrich. So Quentin, so pumped to have you on today, man. And, um, you know, the first question I got for you, you mentioned you're back in Florida right now, back in home base. So uh, this, I always thought this was so interesting. Iowa State does receivers as well. Like, you know, we've had multiple years where we maybe weren't the greatest team, but our wide receivers have always just seemed to be astute. And as a, as a two-star recruit coming out of high school, you're clearly undervalued because, you know, we'll talk about this later on, but NFL career, hell of a career at Iowa State. And you see guys like Brees Hall talk about five-star culture over five-star talent. And when you heard that from Brees, how did that resonate with you as someone who was clearly undervalued coming out of high school into D1 recruiting? Right. Well, I think especially with what Brees said, you know, as far as Iowa State being a five-star culture, um, a lot of those schools like, you know, your Alabamas and LSUs, they, they kind of think everything is handed to them because there are, you know, five-star or four-star recruits and everything. So they feel like they don't have to work as hard. But uh, uh-huh. I remember when I first got to Iowa State, Paul Rose at the time, he would always say, you know, we're, we're a blue-collar team. So it's like pretty much we're gonna we're gonna work hard and we're gonna earn our way. Like we're gonna make people respect us. Um, mm-hmm. So for Bree says that that's kind of what I think about as far as five star coaches. Like, well, we may not have all the the top recruits, but we work just as hard, <laughs> and we want that to be known. So that, that's that's kind of what from that when Bryce says that. Yeah. Well, Bree, yeah. Yeah, I, I I mean I loved it, and it's it's so it's it's crazy because the whole high school recruiting process. I mean, you would know this far better than Newt and I would, but it always felt skewed. It always felt like it, it purely focuses in on the, uh, the, the six, six quarterback who has a rocket arm and not necessarily the people with the intangibles. So yeah. And oh my gosh, you, you had tangibles, but what I thought made your game, what it was, was the intangible. So you got speed, you break tackles and you're, you got great hands but your intangibles, ball concentration, 
your field vision. You saw everywhere on the field where to go and just your balance. Those are the three things that I thought you did so well at concentration, field vision and balance. And I mean, talk about that a little bit. How did you kind of nail down those three things? And, and it's funny you say that because although, you know, that's something you noticed for some reason, like, and this is something we might get into later on, but by the NFL scouts, for some reason, that's something they didn't notice, but I, I won't go that right now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it. I promise you. <laughs> no, but uh, I mean, I, I just remember coming into Iowa State. Um, first off, you know, I'm a kid from Florida. And I'm moving, all, I'm moving all the way over to Ames, Iowa. So it's kind of like that's a culture shock in itself. <laughs> so, but at the same time, I knew what I was getting into coming to Iowa. Uh, I was prepared to go anywhere that was best for me. So I didn't care where it was. If it was somewhere in Idaho, that would have been perfectly fine for me. Uh, but as far as my uh, intangibles and everything like that, I obviously me being older now, I wish I can go back and actually work on some of those things a little bit more and be more focused on it. But uh, some of the things that you mentioned as far as speed and balance and, and hands and breaking tackles, I really felt like I was, that was really underrated, a really underrated part of my game that a lot of people didn't notice for whatever reason. Uh, but it, it was really overlooked. And I really felt like I could have did a lot more than what I actually did, a lot more. Mm. So Absolutely. I, I kind of want to still touch on that. Obviously, your, your 2013 season was, you know, your, your breakout season, uh, redshirt sophomore year. What what allowed you to take that next step? What, what kind of allowed you to go from, you know, 2012, you know, you had 20 catches, 232 yards, and then you're the team's leading receiver in 2013. What Was there anything particularly in the offseason film or, or, you know, specific training or things that you kind of worked on that really elevated your game? I was I, w- I would really say it was a mindset thing and, and then also uh, concentration, knowing that when those plays were going to be put out there in front of me, trying to make the most of it whenever they came out. Because we had certain players. And I actually, speaking of that, I did watch, uh, not watch, but I listened to the podcast with Josh Lance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I listened to that. So I'm going to bring him up. He was one of the guys who was uh, in front of me for a few years. Um, you had Chris Young. Um, I would Gary and Aaron Horn, Darius Reynolds. He had a bunch of guys in front of me at the time. And uh, I knew that part of me coming to Iowa State would be playing early. So I said, okay, once these guys move on, then I know that it's pretty much going to be an open competition. And once they left, I said, okay, now I really need to take my game to the next level and show these coaches that I can be that guy. I, I can be the number one receiver. So at that time, uh, during training camp, I was pretty much looked at as a number one receiver already as it is. Coaches would always come to me and say, it's time for you to take that next step. And I took it and embraced it because, you know, from where I'm from, it, I was always the number one receiver. But even in high school, I was always underrated and overlooked. And I kind of felt the same way in college, too. So, I mean, it, it was a mindset more than anything. So, Quinn, how does that even happen? Like, I, I, I'm, I don't know why I nerd out when it comes to high school tape. I, one of the first things I do when I talk about, you know, who was great in college is I just want to see what they even did in high school. You were insane in high school. Like, 
breaking so many tackles, so many like long runs and, right. and watching your film at Iowa state, this is going to be a weird comparison. So hear me out. Okay. But you watch someone like David Montgomery run the ball and you see him break the tackles and he earns every single broken tackle that he gets. You just, you see the ferociousness in his play style. And then you watch someone like Alvin Kamara and he breaks probably just as many, maybe even more than David Montgomery, but it's so much more elegant and it's so much more fluid. And it doesn't even look like he's trying. It looks like he's just bouncing off players. And some of your tape that I watched is very similar to that. It doesn't necessarily look like you're, you know, throwing guys to the ground, but you're just bouncing off tacklers like everywhere you go. And it almost looks like the most frustrating thing for a defender to try and tackle. You're just so slippery. Like, it, it, do you, you know, do you give that to your balance? Like, how did you, how did you nail that? Honestly, that's something I never truly worked on. I, I guess it just came naturally. The balance, <laughs> just a nat, uh, a natural runner, man. Gosh, good for you. How are you going to sit up here and lie to you and say that's something I worked on constantly in the offseason? And it, it really wasn't. Um, but I forgot the stat after I, when I graduated college. There was some stat that came out and said I was I had the most broken tackles out of all the receivers that that year. Out of that all makes the, sense. Drafted. Yeah. Wow. Oh, of all the receivers drafted. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Man. <laughs> We, okay, we love so, to break tackle stats. That, that was, that's always, yeah. uh, I feel like that just runs hand in hand with the Iowa State culture. And, and maybe it's because, you know, you see like the Montgomery kind of hit, got hit in the backfield uh, pretty quickly. So he had to, he had to make work of it, but you know, you gotta, you gotta adapt to, to the game. So. Let's see. That's another thing too, that um, kind of like you spoke on uh, uh, Kamara, he was a little bit more smooth than um, Montgomery was as far as breaking tackles, but. They pretty much did the same thing. And I kind of felt like that was somewhat of my game, too. I could make people miss when I needed to, but I just wasn't – I would say I wasn't as quick as other receivers were in that aspect. Uh, but I can do the same thing if I needed to. And, you know, coming out of high school was – that was a question, too, as far as, okay, how quick is this guy? Can he get in and out of his breaks? Um, can he really run? But – the tape shows everything that you're at. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And, uh, you, you know, I, I don't know who here listens to Colin Coward. I hate how much I listen to Colin Coward, but he, <laughs> he said something that it's hard to describe or, or, you know, there's greatness when you can't describe why they're great. So Jerry Rice, I, I don't quote me on this. I think he ran like a four, eight, four, seven, 40. It wasn't the fastest guy. It wasn't the quickest guy, but it was his route running. It was his hands. You know, there are so many things out there that are immeasurables that make you great. And, and that's, that's almost what's tricky to describe your career. It's like, what was one thing Quentin was good at? I, I can't say one thing. I just watch him play. And he does so many things. Well, that you just know he's such a complete wide receiver, like sitting in the holes as a wide receiver, knowing where you're going to be open route running. And, and like I said, the ball concentration, those are hard things to measure, but that's something that film will show you, but unfortunately a combine won't, you know? And then you mentioned Jay Rice. He was a guy, like you said, he wasn't a fast guy, but honestly, he had field speed. So a lot of times if you watch his film, He'd be running away from guys, even though he ran a, a four eight or four seven or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was faster than that, but still. Yeah. <laughs> so you're. I mean, four, you were, you were four five four. That's still pretty damn fast, man. Holy shit. 
I, I would say a four four. You know, you had a you had a bunch of yeah. those. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a four four. I have no problem with that. Four four it is. You know, another thing is um you remember Jarvis West, you know, he was our short, speedy receiver. Uh, mm-hmm. a lot of times people would try to compare me to receivers like him. Hmm. Like we're two different styles, you know, I'm taller, he's shorter. You know, they would try to compare my agility to to Jarvis's agility or someone like him. Uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, sometimes it brings me to a memory back in high school uh, when Urban Meyer came to one of my football games, not necessarily to watch me, but my running back, who was a five-star recruit. Okay. And my name kind of got thrown in there, too. They said, you know, make sure you watch out for number 11, which was my number at the time, and had a great game. I had a 180-something yards and two touchdowns, and Urban Meyer said I didn't pass the eye test. I guess to him, I just didn't look like a five-star recruit. I didn't look like a player that can go to the University of Florida. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's well, maddening. Urban Meyer's shown he's not great at some decision-making <laughs> lately. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, I did. We, we kind of mentioned older receivers, uh, obviously talking about Jerry Rice. Is there anyone that like growing up, you really tried to like, you know, it doesn't even have to be a receiver, but just like a, a, a favorite football player that you tried to, you know, match, match your game to, or, or try and, and do what they do. I, I feel like that always happens, especially in like basketball too. You know, you always try and, you know, do some guy's move or copy someone's jump shot. What was, who was like kind of your biggest motivator in football? And I, I would probably have to say Randy Moss was my favorite um, mm-hmm. football player. Now, I, I didn't really try to model my game after his, but it was just one aspect that I really wanted to take from him. And that's whenever the jump ball would be thrown in the air, just go a high pointed and try to out jump the next guy to get it. <laughs> and that's one thing. Try awesome. Yeah, try to moss. Flurry term now. He's, he, 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 he did so well. It's, you know you're pretty good at something when you, your name is just the thing. Exactly. And another guy um, wasn't a receiver was Ricky Williams. He was a running back for the Miami Dolphins. Um, oh yeah, Texas guy, right? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like he's forgotten a lot, but when you bring his name up, you can't really. There's really nothing bad you can say as far as what he did on the field. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, the Saints literally traded away an entire draft to draft that guy. So that's <laughs> that's pretty impressive. That That's if I'm Ricky Williams on my tombstone, I'm putting that like literally got an entire NFL team's draft for me. That's <laughs> I mean, that's that'd be absurd to like happen now. I mean, you get some of the quarterbacks that you, you get like three first round picks, but they literally gave up an entire draft for him, which is crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so so with, with that guy, it was like, you know, for some reason he doesn't get mentioned a lot when you talk about the top running backs. He's still one of my favorite running backs. But whenever you mention his name, you're going to always talk about how good he was. And I always told myself, I said, you know, I've never been the type of guy that's, that cares about the fame and, the, you know, and everything like that. But whenever you mention me, you will remember how good I was. Mm-hmm. Man. So – I'm trying to figure out which one I want to go for. I, okay. I want to go for this one. So Texans, by the way, first of all, congrats. That's, that's insane to even get to the NFL. My gosh, I'm jealous as hell. <laughs> um, when it comes to the Texans, who was your quarterback before I, before I dive into this? 
That Did they have like Brandon Whedon and stuff that year? It was... I, I thought it was Whedon. Brandon Whedon was the backup, and that's the year Brock Osweiler was signed from the Broncos. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought it was him or Shab, but okay. Brock Osweiler makes more sense. So is there like an NFL quarterback that you're watching play today and you're just like, if he was the one throwing me the ball, I, I might still, I might still be running routes today because th- that's, what's so tough. Like in man, these drafts, like I, I feel so bad for these Trevor Lawrence's for even Zach Wilson's because they're, they're going to the bottom of the barrel. Like sometimes they don't even get a chance and, and hell, if they landed in Mac Jones position with the Patriots, maybe they'd be having a better outcome. I don't know. But I, I think the same for so many other athletes like you, like, did you feel you got a fair shot? And if, if not, like who is a quarterback out there right now? And don't say Tom Brady, but who's a quarterback out there right now that you're like, I want to be catching balls for him. I want to be running routes for him. Uh, I can think of two guys. One is a guy that we played against at Iowa State, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, one of the main reasons is because I feel like I was open so many times on deep routes in college. And, yeah. You know, his game in college, he would, he would just scramble and just throw it deep. Yeah. So, just find you. So, I mean, him and probably Russell Wilson. Love Russ. Oh, yeah. Russell. Yeah. The, those are good players. And, I, I mean, yeah, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like, as a deep threat, if you don't have – the quarterback, or let's let's say this, the offensive line to give the quarterback time to even allow the deep threat to be a thing, it, it sucks because not only is there the deep threat, but if your deep threat is kind of your main bread and butter of your game, then that opens up the rest because they'll try and take away the deep threat for you, which will then open up the smaller routes, and and that's how you can start to dominate the game. But if if you don't even have that that initial threat to begin with the rest of the game is a lot harder. And that's sometimes why I feel, man, are, are people just not even given a fair shake sometimes, which, which is definitely true, but man. I mean, I, I agree with you as far as like, like you said, uh, Zach Wilson, uh, the guy that comes to mind is Josh Rosen. I, I really feel like he wasn't really given a fair chance. Uh, some of these guys are going to terrible teams. Uh, the media doesn't help out at all. No, <laughs> no. They say, you know, they, they're going from a first-round draft pick to a journeyman, and within three years, you've been on five, six teams. Um, but as far as, you know, my me having a fair chance, I, I really do feel like I had a really fair chance, actually, um, because I was actually signed to the Texans a day before training camp. Oh, wow. I was signed. That I was originally picked up by the Jets. And I was there for a few months going through off-season workouts. Um, got released, so I went through that whole process, which was crazy. <laughs> uh, How was that process like? I mean, I, I couldn't imagine. We spoke a little bit with Josh on it, and yeah, like how not to resurface any sort of you know bad feelings, I guess. But how was that process for you? I will say it's something you'll never forget. Um, yeah, but it, it was crazy because I heard Josh. He talked about, you know, the politics in the, in the game. Mm-hmm. And he's absolutely right about that, which I've heard about New York teams and the Jets before I actually got there. But, you know, it was a weekend, actually, the day I got released. Uh, we actually had this football camp. We had these kids come in for a 707 tournament. And the players were the rookies. We were going to be the referees. I had literally just put my referee shirt on, put my New York Jets hat on, and went out there on the field. 
Next thing you know, I get tapped on the shoulder and say, oh, no. when can we see you upstairs? So in my head, I'm saying, well, I know I didn't do anything wrong. Like I know I didn't get in trouble. So uh, I went up there and the guy said, we're just going to get straight to it. We're releasing you. And it was like, <laughs> I said, uh, I said, okay, that's, that's cool. But can I ask you why? Yeah, and that was their delivery. That's terrible. He he got straight to the point, and I, I said, "Can I?" Ask you why? And mm-hmm. this is what he told me. He said that, and I don't tell too many people this, but he said, "Well, we felt like he didn't make as many plays. Uh, he had a few drop balls out there, and I cut him off. I said, hold on, I have to cut you off right there.' I said, I had one drop ball this entire camp. I said, every other receiver that you brought in as a rookie." had five or more and I've made more plays than all of them. So I said, mm. why are you cutting me? Then he said, well, to be honest with you, Quentin, we just we just signed a veteran guy for special teams and he's more valuable than you are right now on the roster. And they, two weeks, no, three weeks later, they they uh released that same guy that they signed me for. Well, yeah, doesn't signing a veteran, if anything, make that a lesser value move because you're going to be spending more money on that. Like, I don't, I don't get that at all. I mean, you know, that's the crazy part about it because I was actually returning kicks, pump returns for the jets too. They had me doing it every day after practice. And then, you know, this other guy comes in and he actually practiced with us for three days. And, but the whole time he was already signed and they didn't tell me that. <laughs> oh gosh. He was already and- signed and, they ended up releasing him three weeks later. And, and, you know, when Goff got traded to Detroit, they said, hey, do you have any regrets how that was handled, McVay? And he said, communication. I wish communication was better. They should have communicated with you three days in advance of this move. Like, it's it's more so about the respect to the person that's truly affected by it. Are the Jets organization really affected by, you know, this move? not near as much as you are. So out of respect to you, it just feels like, you know, communication could have been improved, but man, I, that's, yeah, yeah that's a tough story to hear, man. It's definitely politics in it. And um, it was just crazy because, you know, uh, Robbie Anderson, he's a receiver for the, the Panthers. Yeah. Yeah. He was there with me too. Him, Braxton Miller, uh, Jalen Marshall, not Braxton Miller, uh, Sharon Peak from Clemson was there. Um, but that's when I was there with Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker. So, uh, what's his name again? I just said his name, Robbie Anderson. He was actually yeah. hurt the entire offseason. So, in my mind, I was saying, why wouldn't you release this guy who's been hurt? <laughs> and mm. now, now, obviously, I don't want anyone to be released, but I was just thinking, like, that would make more sense. But yeah. now he, he's had a good career now, and I'm happy for him. Happy for yeah. Him. Absolutely. Robbie, Robbie's won me a couple fantasy games. So shout out Robbie. <laughs> yeah, I've got my fantasy team, but that's another discussion. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> so I wanted to um, touch on your time with the Texans. You were in the same wide receiver room as DeAndre Hopkins. How cool is that? Because he's, I mean, one of the best receivers is his longevity is very impressive. Like, was it, mm-hmm. As someone, you know, who plays receiver, is it just so cool to to watch someone that's so good at the craft? And and did you learn anything in particular from him or kind of how was it like being around someone who, you know, right now has a, a Hall of Fame career trajectory? 
But you know, a lot of a lot of times when you're around guys like that, you, you don't really think they're gonna be that cool because a lot of guys are kind of you know real stuck up or think they're better than you or it's like oh whatever you're just another guy I know I'm good so I'll be here in a few weeks. <laughs> but Hopkins doesn't like that. He he was constantly showing me and trying to teach me about my own craft. Um, and that guy, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, he's a really good leader, believe it or not. He may not talk much, you know, outside of the field, but he's a really good leader. And one thing about him that me and him had in common were we're really good at, you know, the 50-50 balls. When the ball is in the air and you're covered, mm-hmm. that's one thing me and him were really good at. And I made a ton of plays like that in training camp, which is why they – initially signed me to the practice squad. And, uh, you know, Josh Lance was on that same – I was competing with him, too. He was there. I was about to ask you about that. I wasn't <laughs> sure if you guys overlapped your uh, your time there or not. <laughs> yeah, he was there. I was – I didn't even know he was there, and I showed up <laughs> the next day. I, I said, wait, what? He said, yeah, I didn't know you were coming. <laughs> wait, wait, Quentin. So I asked him this. I'm like, who had the best culture? Who had the worst culture of the NFL teams you were with? And um, and this was his answer. He's like, the Colts. The Colts gave us, you know, an Xbox for Christmas. Then the organization doesn't have to give us anything. And the Houston Texans gave us a cookbook. And that was his answer. <laughs> do, do you still have your cookbook is what is my question. I think that happened. The year before I got there. Ah, <laughs> damn it. Damn it. Okay. Yeah, Quinn's right. on an expert chef, it sounds like. He's yeah. Out. <laughs> they actually gave us quite a bit of stuff. I, I actually still to this day have some of the stuff that they gave us. Um, man, it, it was crazy, man. You would, One day you would walk into the locker room and you would have a box of, of brand new speakers and headphones just sitting there and just like, okay. You know, I'll take it home. <laughs> Just had a bunch of free stuff all the time. Damn. To work for an NFL organization. Geez. Jealous of both of you guys, man. That was that, that experience there, man, is also being around J.J. Watt, um, Jadavian Clowney and all of those guys, Brian Cushing. So J.J., you know, he, he gets uh, – he's so beloved by the media. I love J.J. Before I say this, I love J.J. Right. He can be corny as hell, though. Is he? Is he corny <laughs> in every single like paragraph he says? Like, or is that just like a media stunt when the cameras are in front? Of him? Like, is he? Or is that just him permanently? You know, you know. Still to this day, if, if someone asks me about that, they'll say, "How was JJ Watt?" And I always tell them he was a little different, you know. But he was a cool guy. <laughs> <laughs> he was cool though. But he was a cool guy. He he was like. As big as he is, he would be acting like he was 15 in the locker room, like always joking around, playing these basketball games and everything. But like I said, he had a different personality, but he was a real cool guy. Like you can go up and talk to him about anything, anything. That's cool. That's awesome. Do you have like a, a welcome to the league type um, NFL or, or training camp moment where you're just like, holy shit, like – this is, you know, like, this is the big leagues. This is truly the best of the best. I want to I wanna think about that one, at least for, you know, on the field stuff. Um, but in the meeting rooms, I'll say as far as that goes, now this is my first day there. I just got signed the day before training camp. Then I show up the next day 
not knowing any other plays, nothing at all. So in my head, I'm thinking, okay, I'm it's just bringing me here for numbers, and then it's just going to release me whenever the season starts. So I get out there the first day. We're in one-on-ones, and I caught a five-yard hitch route, caught it, and I shook a guy and made him miss. And everybody was like, oh, you know, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm really doing something here. They like what I'm doing. Um, fast forward two hours later, we're in the team meeting room. So team meeting, you have the GM, the owners, all the coaches, everyone's in there. So he's running through film, and I only got in like three plays. And I remind you, I didn't know anything at the time. Mm-hmm. George Gotsey just ripped my head off. He's like, Quentin, you just – what the fuck are you doing? You know, I'm just sitting there like, yeah, I can't really say much. I don't know the plays. I'm telling he's just ripping me. You don't know what you're doing. You can't be out there. I understand you just got here dead, go, but what the fuck, man? Just <laughs> <laughs> and every everyone's in there now, and I'm just like, oh man, this doesn't look good. I'm my first day here, and I'm already getting ripped. Because what do you say to that? You're like, you're right. I don't know what I'm doing. Tell me. Help me out here. <laughs> he didn't care. He didn't care at all. He, he was just going at anyone who messed up. It didn't matter. <laughs> oh, boy. Just, just off to take some heads off. Um, so, okay. I, I got a question about two of some of my favorite Iowa State athletes. Um, so, two different questions here. But Sam Richardson first. I want to talk about him. You guys really develop great on-field chemistry. And I personally have always thought that maybe he's one of the more um, forgotten about Iowa State greats. And, and again, he, he didn't have a, a career like Purdy. He didn't have the flash of Seneca. But, man, was he efficient and was he a great ball distributor. So kind of just talk about that connection that you guys had. And, and do you kind of think that maybe he is one of the more forgotten about Iowa State football players of kind of our generation? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because when you, when you think about the top quarterbacks that came through Iowa State within the last 10, 15 years, of course, you're going to think of Brock Purdy now. Um, people are still going to talk about Steel Gents. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, they know, love Steel Gents. <laughs> and then, and, you know, sometimes Joe Lanning. Uh, but now Sam, he's, he's definitely forgotten about a lot, and our chemistry really was built off the field because he's from Winter Park, Florida. So that we had that whole Florida connection and he went to school with a guy named Austin Rivers who's in the NBA who I happened to play against back in high school basketball. So we already had that connection going on and we hung out a lot. We would go to parties and go do all types of things together outside of the football field. And we would always talk about certain things. So I would, you know, just for example, I would say, Sam, remember last game when the corner was playing, you know, inside leverage? I took I took the deep route and beat him, even though I only had two steps on him. I said, Sam, that's that's open. I said, like, I, I need you to throw that to me. He said, okay, I got you. And we would even say stuff like that in the game, in the middle of the game. I would say, Sam, even if it doesn't look like I'm open, I'm better than this guy. Just throw the ball. Mm-hmm. Just throw it, you know. So, and he was really vocal, too. Like, that's one thing about Sam that I don't think people realize. He was a real vocal leader. So he didn't mind telling you what needed to be done or how he could change things on his end to make the team better. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I was always a big fan of Sam Richardson. I just wanted to give him some flowers really quick. Um, and then the next one I wanted to talk about, you already brought him up. 
Jarvis West might have been the most fun Iowa State football player I've ever watched. Uh, you know, I, I, I still don't understand how his career didn't extend past Iowa State, but what was it like just, just playing with that guy? A guy who you could visibly watch make a defender miss in a telephone booth. I mean, was it just as mind-perplexing on the field as it was off the field just watching this guy run? I mean, that, that started back in high school because I actually played against Jarvis in the playoffs in high school. I mean, we killed him. It was like 54 to 7, <laughs> uh, something like that. But <laughs> I, I, I didn't know he was going to Iowa State until I actually got there. Um, but with, I felt like he was very underutilized, like, you know, without going too deep into it. When I first got there, Jarvis was listed as the X receiver, which would be the outside receiver. Now, Jarvis is what? What, five, six? I would say he's like five, six, but he's fast and really shifty. Now, mm-hmm. how would you have a guy of that size strictly playing outside receiver? Yeah. You know, that's, that's what he was dealing with for a while. Um, then, you know, we had a, a coaching change when we had uh, Mangino came in and he was a coordinator and everything like that. And um, like I said, I think he was really underutilized. He, he could have did so much more for us than, than he did. And I think that really affected him as far as getting to the next level because he was a playmaker. Like oh, some yeah. of the doing in, in practice, it was just unheard of. Man. So we still didn't even see his full potential, did we? Oh, no. the fact that we only saw a snippet of what he did and that's still my memory of him Mm -hmm. is is just crazy wow so he was a matchup problem for for like you have the strong safeties coming down who are a lot slower or you have those outside linebackers trying to cover him he was a matchup problem and we really didn't take advantage of that nearly as much as we should have yeah yeah What would you say was your favorite Iowa State moment or game to play in? One, I think, would be obvious. Um, the Texas game when I had the 97-yard touchdown. Mm-hmm. And it really was – Is that still a school record, by the way? It is for a play. Yes, it is. Um, I, I think it is, yeah. It, it still is a record. Um but it wasn't really the best moment because of what I did. It was, man, the crowd was so loud when I was running. It was ridiculous. Like I can actually hear how loud they were yelling. And I would always, to this day, I would go back and just watch that play again and just look at the reaction of the, of the fans. <laughs> like I'm more excited about watching the fans reacting to me running than I am of myself actually running. <laughs> but that. You know, another game that everyone talks about, obviously, the Oklahoma State game, I was a true freshman that year, so I didn't play. But it was just the experience and the atmosphere in, in Jack Trice Stadium, man. It was it was ridiculous, man. And everyone storming the field afterwards, and I'm a true freshman, so I'm out there hugging people and shaking hands, and I'm, I'm just jumping with them, just happy to be there. Just happy. Man. Yeah, that I was. I don't even know how old I was during that Oklahoma State game. Was in a. I was in a skybox. The only skybox game I've ever been to at Jack Trice. One of my buddies took me, and um, I, I was freaking out. We're like, "Hey, can we go storm the field?" 
And keep in mind, this is still when our parents drove us to Ames for the game. They're like, no, we're, we're not going to lose you. We're, we're going. We're going to beat traffic. I'm like, are you kidding me? We're going to skip this to go home and beat traffic? Oh, I, I don't regret the experience because the experience was like it was awesome. But I'm, I'm a little remorseful that I couldn't celebrate on the field with everyone. I will say this. Uh, one more other game that came to mind was, I think it was 2013 when we came back to beat West Virginia. Um, in overtime, it was our last game of the season, and we were able to send off the seniors the right way. That was. Did they still have Geno Smith that year? Was it? Uh, no, they didn't. I think they had what was his name, uh, Greer or something like that. Will Greer? Yeah, that might have been like the beginning of his tenure. I wasn't sure if, if he was there quite yet. Yeah, but I remember when they did have Geno Smith and, and Tavon Austin <laughs> at, at that. Oh Frank. my gosh. Yeah, I remember that. That was one of my favorite teams, to be honest with you. The, the Pat White got me into West Virginia early on, and then Geno Smith and Tavon Austin just kept it going. Oh, the man. Pat White, Steve Slayton option in NCAA football was so <laughs> much fun. <laughs> Steve Slayton was crazy. I thought he was going to be so good in the NFL. I was like, oh, yeah. I'm, And he was really good his rookie year, and then he, he had injuries just stack up. But, um, yeah, they, they're, they were electric. And I hated I at the time I hated Geno Smith. He was just man, he was so rude to us. Like he would be running out on the field, cursing us out, cursing the, the coaches out. <laughs> and we would always try to fight them when they were coming on because he was just so cocky. But then I ended up getting picked up by the Jets Spurs, and he was the quarterback for the Jets at the time. Yeah, he was. <laughs> <laughs> like, damn it, this guy is gonna be throwing me the ball. He's, he's not going to look for any targets my way, that's for sure. <laughs> Man. Um, okay, so I got I got one more question. Well, kind of two, but just one more main one. So we talked about injuries recently, and, you know, that knee injury kept you out, I think it was 2012, 2014, I believe. How was it kind of just rehabbing that? I've never had an injury or a knee injury, and I've heard they're brutal to come back from, but – how was it going through the rehab process and, you know, coming back for one final, you know, one final go around in your senior year and still having a, a hell of a senior year too? Man, I was, um, and to be honest with you, based on my, my breakout season the year before, I was planning on leaving if I had a better season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that makes sense. I would encourage you to do that. I was planning on leaving and then um, next thing you know, I go down the third the third play of the first game of the season. Non-contact. Uh, oh, it was non-contact? Yeah. So I, how did it happen? Because I, I was, truth be told, I was trying to find it before this interview and I, I didn't know what, what ended up happening. So what, what did happen on that play? It was a, a running play opposite side of the field. I was lined up on the right side and a running play was going to the left. Um, so I was just going out there trying to set the tone and really just hit the cornerback really hard. Like, it let him know, mm -hmm. like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I kind of ran up on him, and I just hit him really hard, and I pushed him off me. And as soon as I released him, it's like my cleat got caught up in the grass, and my knee just twisted. And I, and I felt mm -hmm. the pop. I felt the pop, and I immediately just dropped. And it was just burning for, like, 10 seconds. It was just, like, this burning sensation. Then after that, it was like, okay, I might be okay. I, I walked off the field and everything. Um, then I went home that night and my knee just blew up. 
I couldn't move. I had to call my coach to come over. I had to call him and say, yeah, this isn't good. Something's wrong. And sure enough, it was an ACL. ACL and meniscus. Um, that whole rehab process, it was, I will tell you this, it made me a better player. It yeah. made me more clear, um, made me tougher, mentally more sound, because, man, that, it, it will it will attach you and push your limits. Um, I was originally scheduled, they say, anywhere from six to nine months in college. For some reason, it's, in college, they expect you to come back in six months from an ACL. The NFL, they say nine months. Yeah. Uh, but I ended up coming back in four and a half. And mm-hmm. I was surprised by how fast I was healing. You know, I went through everything I needed to do and made sure before I came back that I was mentally prepared because a lot of times they'll say, well, you know, this guy isn't the same player. He's not mentally there. He doesn't trust himself. I wasn't that guy. I was just telling myself, look, if it's meant to be, then it's going to be. So if I go out there and get hurt again, it just meant to happen. There's nothing I can do about it, but I'm not going to sit here and allow what happened to me months ago to keep me from doing what I know I'm capable of doing. Um, and another thing as far as the injuries, when I was with the Texans, that's what cut my career short with them. Um, it was kind of similar to what happened. It was I wouldn't say it was non-contact, but it was doing one-on-ones. I was going yeah. against a guy. I don't. Do you remember when the Texans were on hard knocks years ago? Yeah, that was before I got into hard knocks. But I, yeah, I, I remember when they were on there. Yeah, it was a guy by the name of Charles James, short cornerback. He was really loud, always talking, really hungry. But that's who I was going up against in one on ones. And well, let me backtrack. Before I went out to practice that day, I received a call from my agent. He said that they plan on signing you to the 53 today. He said so. Man. He said, so you go out there, you have good practice, and we'll take care of everything else after, after practice. So, okay. I go out there one on ones, and this is in week 10. Usually, we're NFL, you're not even doing one on ones in week 10 because of that fact you want to prevent injuries. But they had other injuries, so they were putting people up on the 53 man roster. I, I run a route on the right side of the field. I won, caught the ball, then we moved up to the left side. And I was running a 12-yard dig in route. I beat the guy so bad, and I stacked him that I couldn't even see where he was behind me. So as I went to break down and cut in, he grabbed the back of my jersey and pulled me down. So instead of stepping underneath my framework, my foot stepped so far out to the left that my whole knee twisted up and I tore every ligament in my knee except for one. And I had three surgeries on my left leg. Three. My gosh. <laughs> and this is, this happened. What was it? The day of the, the coach telling you, you're going to make the 53 man roster <laughs> basically as long as shit doesn't hit the fan. The day of. Yep. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry, man. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Cause that, that just sucks. And I really like, you know, like I, I told Josh, I was getting this pit in my stomach when he was talking about when he got released by the Browns and just, you know, we don't always see these ins and outs. This is why I love doing this podcast. I love talking with you guys about this stuff, but man, that, that just, I don't know what I'll say. That's, that's brutal. That's brutal. So it's unfortunately that's part of the game. The injuries come with it. Um, but I, I would be lying if I would say it didn't hurt me at all. It definitely sucked because, you know, I was, like I said before, I, I showed up a day before camp and then 
at the end of camp, they decide to keep me over all of these other guys who had already been here. We had 15 receivers in a room. That's a lot of receivers. Yeah. They only traveled six. They traveled, no, they traveled five receivers. And I was the sixth receiver that they kept for the practice squad. So I said, I must be doing something right for a guy to come in a day before camp. And then they're telling me, you know, the coaches really like you. They're excited to work with you in the future. And obviously we're putting you on the 53. I mean, the, the practice squad right now because you're not that well with the, the playbook yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm, of course, I understand that. I'm just happy to be here either way, you know, so. When, when that injury happened, man, I, I already knew how bad it was. They didn't want to tell me at first, but I, I knew it was I knew it was bad. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's tough. Yeah. I, I don't know how to follow up that because it's a very um <laughs> you know, not you know very Pull us out of it, Newt. Yeah, throw yeah, some so, uh, throw some sunshine our way. <laughs> so that was actually an interesting question I had. Um and I'm glad that you didn't get too much into the details about it. you said you're back in Florida. Now you grew up in Florida. How much are you missing um, Iowa winters? And do you really want to vacation in Ames in December? I do not want to vacation in Ames in December. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do not miss the winters at all. But I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say I got used to it when I was there, but I can deal with it. So it wasn't a terrible thing. If I, for some reason, if, Let's say if Iowa State wanted to offer me a, a coaching job in the future and said, would you want to move back up here? Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll do that. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> All right, New, we, we got to get in Jamie Pollard's <laughs> mentions now. Yeah. <laughs> we have very few connections, but we will try our best here um, to, to really be the loudest cheerleader for that. And then kind of a follow-up, I always love to get people, like Mason and I are both from Iowa, so we don't get this perspective, but like what's something that you would – love to like add to Ames, whether it's like a restaurant or something, you know, that you just miss from Florida that you just would complete Ames. Cause we already know that Ames is like fantastic. We, we are very biased and love Ames here. So how do you make it even better? And outside of the fan base and, and, the, and the loyalty in the community, I mean, it, it's, I will say this, it is a lot that I can add to it. Oh, man, that's hard. But I would say what Florida is known for is obviously um, the water. Because <laughs> we're peninsula, we got the beaches and everything like that, and all the, the beach activities and water activities that come along with it. Um, so if I could add anything to it, obviously it wouldn't work out because the, the seasons that you know you guys have. Florida, we don't really have seasons. It's just like it's hot all the time. Um so if, if I could add anything, it would really just be just adding water or beaches or something of that sort. I wouldn't change much, much at all. Let's let's get some sand around Lake Laverne here. I, I think that's that's okay. what we need to push for. <laughs> I don't know. Quentin. I, I hear some things about that uh, that lake there. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think you might come out of there with a few diseases if you dip your toe in. But okay, <laughs> an even grosser body of water, in my opinion. Please tell me you have not gone to Raccoon River in Des Moines. Have you, have you uh, gone there or have you heard of it? I've heard of it, but I've never been there. Good. Don't go there. I, you know, that was one of those spots in high school where you're like, oh, yeah, let's go to the beach. I'm like, what beach are you talking about? Raccoon River. Okay, sure. Let's go there. And holy, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, 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 it's gross. Let's just put it that way. It's gross. Don't go there. 
So is it just like a river of yeah and stuff laying in it or what is it? it the water i don't even know if it's rushing like <laughs> like the beach <laughs> that they have is like an idle body of water that just sits there so murky and disgusting it's uh it, it's it's basically lake laverne but not as um traveled through so you have every sort of probably you know des moines resident has probably touched their you know gross body in that water and oh it's it's gross well i i have a few uh friends who used to play on the team who still live in in Des Moines, so I'll make sure I tell them not to go there. Or or go there and let us know what you think. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely won't go. Yeah, good call, man. All right, well, Newt, do you have any other questions? Um, I, I feel like my my last favorite question is like, you know, what are you up to now? What's what's been your big like passion project post football, and what 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 kind of drives you? What you know, what what excites you? Anything that you want to want to plug or talk about? We'd love to hear more. You know, that that question makes me think of something that I think is really important because, um, you know, like myself, Josh Lenz, other former football players, and we're so used to dealing with sports our entire lives because I, I was a three-sport guy. So I did football, and then I went straight into basketball right after, and then I went straight to track. So sports was pretty much, you know, my life. So when something like an injury happens, then it's like, what do I do now? <laughs> I'm not really sure what I'm good at, or I don't really know which direction to go in. It's, you know, a lot of athletes, athletes struggle with life after football. Um, but for me, it's, I really want to stress the fact that it is important to get a degree if, if you can, because it does help, obviously, you know, depending on what field you're in. But get a degree because you can always fall back on that. So I have my degree in criminology. And um, I have a minor in human development. So I use that because at a point in time, I thought about being a police officer and I kind of changed my mind to sophomore year of college. I said, you know, I don't really want to go that route, but I can use that degree to get into different avenues. Um, so right now I'm currently an assistant account manager for Ally Universal, which is the biggest security company in North America now. We just acquired G4S. Um, we have branches out there in Iowa too, even in Ames. So I'm an assistant account manager doing really well with that. I've only been with this company for a little bit over a year. Um, and I've gotten three promotions already. Shit. Congrats, man. Jeez. Um, so, I mean, and you know, there's a knock sometimes as far as, you know, police officers and security, but I would be a testament to tell people that. You know, there's so much more you can do with a criminology degree than just being a police officer. If, you know, that's something you want to do or don't want to do. Um, like like myself, I'm an assistant account manager, and there's so many other ways I can go with that. But I'm, I'm loving it right now, man. I oversee 56 employees over three different sites. Um, and it's a lot to it, but I, I love what I do right now, and I'm having a great time. And outside of that, man, I'm just living life. Um, I'm really into photography a lot. Um, also, I'm a brand ambassador for a new clothing company. I'll go ahead and shout them out. It's called Shop Drip Bros on Instagram. Shop Drip Bros. If you go to Shop Drip Bros on Instagram, um, you can check out their clothing. Or I always post up my Instagram stories, too, as far as what we're dropping and things like that. If you want to save money on purchasing, 
Make sure you put in a promo code Quentin10, Q-U-E-N-T-O-N, and the number 10. That'll save you some money. <laughs> you beat me to it. I was about to say, do you have any discount codes for the people? Quentin 10. I love it, man. <laughs> we have some new stuff dropping too for the winter. So, you know, if anybody, you know, for everybody that's gonna watch this, go ahead and shoot over there, give it a shot, look at it. You see something you like, go ahead and make the purchase, you know. Love it. And it's shop drip bros, right? Shop drip bros. Yep. Love it. Love it, man. All right. Well, dude, we appreciate your time, man. This is a lot of fun. Uh, you know. Hopefully down the road, we can do this again sometimes. But one thing we do before we close out all of our interviews, we're trying to like kind of brand this. I, I, I don't know. Maybe we're doing a good we're job or not, but we confidence, we're, confidence. We're yes, branding yes. this shit. All right. It's our thing. Come we on, just, Mason. we give, we give the listeners a solid roll clones, you know, cause roll clones, but uh, yeah, Quinn, seriously appreciate all the time today, man. A lot of Thank fun you. and nonetheless roll clones. Thank you both and roll clones.